You're listening to The Doers Podcast, right here on The Doers Network. And now, here's your host, Donald Robinson II. Well, welcome everyone to The Doers Network. I'm your host, Donald Robinson II. And on the line for this episode, we have Tosh Moore, legend in the making, Catch 313. And we're going to talk about that and more. So everybody, please tune in and enjoy the show. So, Tosh, how are you doing? I'm great, Donald. Thank you. I hope you're well. I am excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, in terms of what we're talking about, we want to talk about your history, your background, and uh, where you grew up and things like that. So, tell us a little bit more about yourself, Tosh. I'm a native Detroiter. Uh, my name is Natasha Moore. I go by Tosh. I'm founder of Catch313, uh, the social media agency. I am originally from the east side of Detroit. Um, that's, I guess you could call it the Upper East Side, even though we don't really use those monikers here. And um, I have, however, lived in central Detroit and northwest Detroit and uh, in the suburbs. Okay, so you've been all over the metro area, huh? Well, in a ring suburbs, yes. Okay, okay. And lifelong native Detroiter, that's excellent. So, Well, I've, I've lived elsewhere. I've lived in Chicago and Houston as well. How long have you lived in those cities? I lived in Houston for five years when I was a kid, and I went to art school in Chicago uh, okay. briefly. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. You got you had the chance to see other areas and other urban areas, other metro areas, to see what, what life is like and give a fuller experience. So that's great. And so then in terms of your background as far as what, what did you study? Did you, did you study art design or how did, what, did you, what was your discipline? Uh, my discipline was writing and photography. I started actually in an art program in high school. I went to CASA in addition to my regular high school. And CASA is the Center for the Advanced Studies in the Arts. It's located in Ferndale. Okay. And it draws from multiple schools in the, the suburban area, Berkeley, Lanphier, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but I was able to study courses and AP classes that AP classes that I couldn't take at my regular high school. Okay. Okay. So how did you enjoy, what did you, what did you get out of it? What was your maturation? Cause you know, in those times you're learning, you're more about yourself and you're growing. What would you say was your biggest experience as far as growth in, in terms of this program? Uh, it was amazing. It was the first time that I was challenged in school. I was one of those students who didn't really have to work terribly hard and in public school, sometimes there's not much of an incentive to be made to work hard. I had excellent schooling while I was down in Houston. Okay. But when I moved back up to the Detroit area, it was much my my education. Pardon me, my education became much more self-led okay. or self self uh, disciplined, and uh, I pretty much studied what I wanted to study. Casa was the first time I had to really discipline myself and uh, be accountable to someone else or accountable to my my teachers my my fellow students or fellow classmates wow that's amazing so the beautiful thing about in your young life you were able to be self-sufficient basically that's that's, if i'm you know correct me if i'm wrong but that's that's an inspiration by itself to me that's wonderful yes that's correct i uh, was diagnosed with a learning disability i'm not sure how accurate that was because i've heard that adhd can be overdiagnosed yep Uh, but uh it was uh it was an opportunity for me to step outside of that that mindset. Okay, and bust that stereotype because, like you said, you're right. A lot of what child professionals or people with, um, you know, psychology experience and things like that they they 
tend to diagnose those certain things, but they're very generic and every individual is different. So we may have the same symptoms, same similarity similarities, but we're not the same in terms of our personality, our drive and everything else, which is, I'm glad, I'm glad Tasha, you were able to overcome all of that because that that's an inspiration by itself. Um, yes, there was a, uh, there was not a lot of consideration given to my background, uh, my history, my racial makeup, a lot of things. Wow. So I, I agree. It's, it can be a generic, I mean, there are people who definitely have it, but I'm not sure that I really had it so much as I just had a discipline problem. Okay. And when you came back to Detroit and advanced your studies and everything, what did, were there any things that caught your eye as far as new that you hadn't seen before or did you see how things were changing around the city and the area? What was your experience there? I, the answer is yes and no. Okay. Um, my family is definitely more suburban or uh, more pastoral, I guess is the word. They're not really, I didn't really have a lot of opportunities to go downtown until my mentor at school, uh, my photography teacher, uh, her name was Squiesta Simeon. Okay. And she, uh, became my mentor the entire time I was in high school. I took her class in ninth grade, and she tucked me under her wing, and that was the first time I was able to experience different artistic and cultural things around the city. Uh, my grandmother used to take me to stuff when I was very little, uh, but by the time I was in high school, that had ended. So I now I was at uh, going to see operas. I'm going to exhibitions. Uh, not all the time, but it was it made me very interested in the city as a whole. Okay. And so I started taking the bus downtown uh, to look at the buildings and to photograph town. And it, that's where I developed my absolute passion for Detroit architecture and the city's cultural history. Wonderful. And then when you found that discovery, how did, if you can recall, if you can recollect for, uh, it's okay. If you not, that's, that's okay too. But what was your first reaction when you first saw the, the uh, historical architecture and all of the buildings and, and the art works of art. How, how, how did that make you feel in terms of were you inspired or were you really motivated or how, how did that, how, what happened there? Oh, I was absolutely inspired. I wanted to get inside the building. Uh, I used to, when I would get off school, this is when I was maybe 17 or so I would, uh, my mom worked downtown, but she didn't really hang out down here once the day was over she she would go home yeah uh, so while in between uh, school getting out and her getting off I would take the bus downtown and basically walk into some of the buildings that were down down downtown uh, of my own volition and look around at uh, the interior I was fascinated with the the, the decoration the the design um, especially places like the Guardian Building okay. or the Fisher Building and their, the tunnels that are underneath the Fisher Building leading over to Cadillac Place. Yes. And then I would go home and research the buildings, their history, their provenance, uh, what were they used for, what, what did they become, uh, the stories behind, for instance, uh, the Guardian Building, be, the lobby being rediscovered, that was absolutely amazing to me. Yes. And I just had, I had a ball. Uh, it was, again, more self self-led behavior but uh, i had a great time and for those of you listening who are not from the area of detroit and metro area who have never been here we have some fabulous architecture not just in downtown but also in the neighborhoods between the houses and all of the buildings like our detroit institute of arts our main library and a lot of other buildings around the wayne state area 
we have a lot of great architecture here and it's fascinating because even if you if you've never been to Detroit you can go online and do some search do a google search on DIA for example or the main library and just you can see interiors you can see a lot of ornate architecture which is fabulous and and valuable and probably more valuable than we can ever imagine here and um like i said i can't keep saying enough Taj. thank you i'm i'm glad that you were able for to be exposed to that in an early age and see what what this city has to offer. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. Now, in terms of Catch 313, let's talk about that for a little bit. How did you get started in starting your business? Uh, my background's a little varied. I was still corporate at the time, actually pre-law, and I was looking for a service project before applying to grad school. I volunteered fundraising for a D.C.-based organization called Citizen Effect, and uh, it was the most eye-opening experience I'd had since returning home from art school in Chicago. Um, I met connections at that time that are still guiding me to this day. Pretty much everyone there ended up uh, doing social initiatives. Some of them are working for Facebook, uh, or, or they're in nonprofits right now, so I was in pretty great company. Wow. And then in terms of Catch 313. What is Catch 313? Catch 313 is a social media agency specializing in providing visibility uh, for black and entrepreneurs and creatives of color in Detroit. Okay. What's the mission in terms of what what kind of services do you provide? Uh, We fill the gap in terms of visibility. So we provide photography services and we also provide design services uh, for small businesses, artists, uh, we've worked with tech startups and nonprofits. Uh, we've also partnered with larger design and innovation events uh, here in Michigan. Okay. So how's how's your growth been going so far? How's, how's how? I'm, I know you're successful, but just give me a, a glimpse and give the listeners a glimpse too of what's been going on as far as your growth and because oh yeah, because when did you when did you get it started? When did you start your launch your business? The seeds that became Catch Three One Three were planted in 2012. Uh, we were incorporated in 2015. And uh, we've grown steadily since then. I've worked with groups like the Detroit Design Festival. And right now we're working with uh, Intermittent, which is a statewide innovation conference uh, that'll be taking place this coming July. We're a sponsor and we're also um, on the the, the marketing team. Okay. And then um, are you you working with other nonprofits too in terms of collaboration or are you just, you know, just straight? working with clientele or how, how, how are you working there? Uh, we are not currently working with any nonprofits. However, we are always uh, looking or open to more right now. I'm curating with the scare, scare club that's okay. located in Midtown. That's near the DIA. Yeah. And we're put, putting uh, together actually tomorrow is our relaunch for this season of the regulars table, uh, which is a discussion between artists okay. and I, I work with them uh, consulting on diversity, and I've also uh, curated and worked with Ingrid LaFleur, a local Afrofuturist artist. Yes. And we have ongoing uh, projects located in the North End. Shout out to Ingrid. Wonderful. So, um, and then Tosh, in terms of other services, do you do you all do any mentoring programs or working with the youth or anything like that? Yes, but m- on a much more informal level. I, I mentor, but that's I have personal mentorship relationships, uh, nothing that is actually corporate, right? Or uh, 
nothing that is actually a business based right now. Okay. It's much more of a one on one thing. Okay. Okay. And then, um, so where do you see the business going as far as your your organization? Do you see um, a rapid amount of growth, or what, what do you think you where do you think you'll be in the next few years? Uh, where Catch Thing One Three is concerned, um, our goal is to expand our services throughout the region. And uh, so we we are working with groups out of Grand Rapids, and we'd like to expand into Ohio. Okay. Okay. As well as the coast. I'm <laughs> open to business out from all around. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And th- that sounds wonderful. Uh, jumping back a little bit. So what inspired you to launch Catch 313? Was there, was there some experience that was like a spark or would, was it a gradual thing? Or, or how, 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 how did that process go? It was more of a gradual thing. I see a lot of entrepreneurs and business service providers of color in the city and they're working day in and day out to provide uh, the need, or to meet the needs of their neighborhoods or their neighbors, uh, to meet the needs of other business owners, uh, connections being made, and it hardly gets talked about or covered in local or national media. Yeah. Or if there is, there's that constant spin on always rehashing Detroit's story regarding the bankruptcy, uh, focusing on what I would consider a negative narrative. Yeah. And uh, Catch Thing One Three is interested in in focusing on an, a business environment that asks the question: What happens post car culture? Uh, this this region is known for being a bit of a one horse town in terms of business prospects. A lot of things center around automotive uh, services. However, there's absolutely a thriving entrepreneurial and small business culture here that hardly gets uh, talked about. Or if it is talked about, a lot of people of color are left out of the conversation. Oh, yeah. Catch the one three serves to fill that space. Uh, oh, that's wonderful. That's great. So then in terms of since you launched your business and up to the present day and in, into the future, what are some of the lessons you've learned as far as valuable life lessons or if, if anything like that have you learned in terms of growing your business? And what I mean by that is a lot of entrepreneurs, actually their business is interwoven, interwoven, interwoven with their lives. So is there, are there any lessons you want to share in terms of the growth of your business reflecting on your own personal life? Yes. In starting and running Catch 313, I'm a very strong believer in social capital. Uh, most of the projects I've been involved with have a larger purpose or meaning uh, than simply generating profit. Uh, if there's a, the question I'd like to ask is, is there a wider community mission or a focus when I'm working with someone, is this someone that, or is this a an initiative that's going to blossom or grow potential, or does this have potential to develop connections or serve the community over the course of a long time, or is this something that's maybe more of a one-off initiative? I'm more inclined to be involved with services that I could see helping other generations, for instance, or encouraging people to feel like they have an option besides what's more traditional uh, business opportunities here. I'll put it that way. Okay. Have you um, partnered with any schools or worked with any schools at all? I have in the past. I'm not currently working with any schools. Okay. Wonderful. And so then um, in terms of that, because I think when I look at the landscape here too, a lot of, lot of opportunities for youth to be inspired and you are definitely a role model for a lot of people. You may not even know how much you're a role model. I'm sure you are. <laughs> 
and just being just being able i commend you for being able to be, just be out here and do your thing because that by itself will inspire people you don't even know that you look that that are looking at you you know and that's oh that's, i appreciate that oh yeah no no it's the truth trust me because the, today's youth as much as we hear about in the headlines and the good things they're doing the bad things they're doing we know that they have advanced levels because of technology i mean in terms of their growth uh, what their awareness is sometimes a little they know a little bit too much but the one thing absolutely that, oh yeah but the one thing they do have in common is that they are very observant they they can catch on quick so just when you think they're not looking at you they are then they're noticing what you're doing and you know that that's 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 enough in and of itself and like oh, I would say definitely don't underestimate uh, the generations that are coming up behind us my my, my generation grew up in the switch or the changeover, I should say, from analog to digital. We grew up with the internet in the beginning, yep. uh, but the kids who are native users nowadays, uh, things like uh, handheld video, yep. um, concerns over privacy, they're thinking ahead of the game in a way that uh, millennials, millennials are sharp, but I've got to hand it to some of these Gen Xers or Gen Yers, I should say. They're, yep. they're, really, uh, they're really ahead of the game. And all of you guys are ahead of an old guy like me. I'm a Gen Xer, so it's like I was there when the first video game home system was created. So it's like to see the growth from there to now is just, it's incredible. Um, oh, we look up to you guys. Well, I appreciate that too. And that's why I do what I do. So you can have look some, have somebody look up to and I appreciate that. Because really too, the, the thing is, this generational thing is not really about age or anything like that. It's about experience and your wisdom and your outlook. Because to me, you guys inspire me, and then the, the Generation Wires coming up, they inspire me as well. I mean, you got 11, 12-year-olds creating apps, you know, creating wealth for themselves and just being self-sufficient. It's, it's, Absolutely. It's, it's wonderful to see, you know. I like that they're not waiting for permission to do anything. No, uh, no. In my, in my era, it's, it was still you got to graduate from high school before you can really get out there and try to figure things out. I mean, unless you want to do a small business in your neighborhood or something like that, but right. uh, these kids – I'm my own. I'm my own boss. Is is the ethos? Yeah, and it's, it's, it'll it'll be also curious to see that their when their kids get up, they they'll probably be five years old creating apps at that point. You know, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, there are coding courses online for kids and coding programs and apps uh, just for that that sort of uh, mindset. Yeah, and so uh, uh, to recap again, so you, you so in t in terms of Catch Three One Three, you all provide social media campaigns for individuals, organizations as well? Uh, I have run social media campaigns and marketing, um, primarily focusing on photography, content creation, okay. and uh, event coverage. Uh, that includes live tweeting, uh, Facebook coverage, or uh, specifically photographing for Instagram. And sometimes if I'm not photographing, sometimes when I'm photographing an event, that's the only uh, coverage that that event is getting for uh, our region. Okay. Have you have you um, worked with any um, of the elder generation in terms of because I think with the elder generation, they're they're not they some of them want to keep up with this technology, but for them, it's too, it's rapidly changing too fast. Have you ever worked with anybody and have any challenges with that? I haven't worked directly. I've collaborated uh, in terms of uh, brainstorming and uh, interviewing or talking with people in, the, uh, in older generations, but not any direct services, no. Okay. Okay. And then... Um, but they're, they're definitely a, a branch of the population that absolutely needs or uh, should get more coverage or more attention. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think what's unique in what you and your group are providing is another avenue of closing that digital divide because in the neighborhoods, there are a lot of people, either they don't have access to the internet at home or they don't even have computers, but they do have smartphones, they do have phones. Some of them may have laptops, but they all have access in terms of looking at content. And I'm, I'm also appreciative of what you all at Catch 313 are doing in terms of content creation because it's one thing to be a programmer. It's one thing to create languages and create websites and things like that. But, uh, you know, I always look at a website as like a picture. Like, and you know, since we refer to DIA, let's go back to that analogy. So when you go to DIA, you see this wonderful, valuable painting that's been hundreds of years old. Well, if there's a frame with nothing in it, what is there to look at? So to me, the Internet and websites are th kind of the same thing. Whoever created like whoever creates a website such as Facebook or any Instagram or any social media, that's the frame. But people like yeah. yourselves are the painters who filled up the canvas. You guys create the canvas because if there's no canvas, there's nothing to look at. And the frame gets ignored, you know. So I uh, oh, that's, I really like that uh, that analogy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, as a content creator myself, I, I understand what that means because that's where everything is headed, even in the growth of the Internet. When we see, when we end up getting Web 3.0, which is on the near horizon, it's all going to it's going to be all about content. And I think that's how social media itself became such a phenomenon, because people are amazed at the content they create themselves between creation through smartphones and tablets. When people can see, oh, I actually can take a picture of myself and the world can see it. Oh, wow. I mean, some of it's got out of hand a little extreme, but the phenomenon is because of the power that those tools have created for the average individual. And then for, for professionals like yourself, you know, you're able to even reach wider audience because you have an immediate audience at the click of a button with something like Facebook or Instagram. You know, so it's, it's, it's wonderful to see the changing and it's wonderful to see the growth and development of the, the tech tools as, as a whole. And, in, and so in, in speaking of tech tools, how did you tur get turned on to Bamboo Detroit and then end up coming downtown? I joined Bamboo as soon as I left corporate. Uh, the transition was a little bumpy internally. However, uh, the thing that appealed to me at Bamboo was the family style environment. And by that, I mean, they were very welcoming. It felt like they took a personal interest and a personal, had a personal stake in my success. And that wasn't something at, and uh, this was around 2014. That wasn't something that I felt in every space at the time. Yeah. Um, they cultivate a community that's very difficult to replicate. I'm a huge proponent of co-working, and I believe that independent workers, uh, we're going to continue to gain ground in the U.S. economy. Yep. And I believe that Bamboo is at the forefront of the independent or freelancer movement. Sure, absolutely. And then in terms of the uh, entrepreneurship and what's your take on the entrepreneurship scene in Detroit and the, te and the tech scene, like what, what's happening now and where do you see it going? I would say that uh, the mindset generally is quickly becoming like a hotbed of post-industrial insight. Other regions, especially the coast, uh, they're taking another look at Detroit, uh, especially as we begin to ask the question, uh, like I said earlier, what comes after car cultures? Uh, with environmental impact and climate change, we can't just keep pretending that there's an endless supply of buyers for our products. Right. And uh, we've been through a couple of major economic disasters in the United States. Uh, there's no telling uh, if there will be or could be another one at any point. 
And I believe that individuals or independent working gives you a lot more flexibility than relying on uh, a massive uh, industry that is really only tied to one thing. I feel like uh, when you're, I I believe when you're an entrepreneur, it requires a level of flexibility and self-reliance and ingenuity that a regular nine to five doesn't always ask for. Um, Oh yeah. Oh, I was just going to say it's uh, that in this area has a lot of perks going forward uh, compared to other parts of the country. Uh, we have a, lot, a lower cost of living, and uh, suddenly you're seeing groups here in Detroit or in Cincinnati. Uh, they're getting fi- seed financing you barely heard of outside of New York or Silicon Valley. Right. It's really exciting. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because uh, I was working downtown a number of years, quite a long time since uh, the late 90s. And I remember when GM moved into the Renaissance after they bought the building. And it's just to see that shift and see how the tech industry and entrepreneurship really changed a lot of even corporate cultures. Because I remember when they first came down, it was like you walk through the hallways of the Renaissance and you see people in suits, you know, they, they're buttoning up, they're stiff, yeah. they're not moving around. But after phenomenons like Facebook came on the scene and other, other tech companies and they're culture became more and more visible and flexible and then next thing you know you're seeing guys in khakis and polos walking around especially on casual fridays they're they're walking around and now even if you look at it now if you go down to the um the mezzanine they have such a a, a, such a vibrant area where people can sit and plug in and tune into the internet do their work and have their lunch and everything else so it's it's wonderful to see how like I said, the tech scene and the entrepreneurship culture has really changed the mindset of a lot of companies, big, large companies, because I think. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And, and I think after the bankruptcies and all the other stuff happened, I think they, they finally woke up and said, you know what? We got to change and get with the times, because if we don't, we're going to be a dinosaur. and We're going to fall apart and not be around anymore. So then. Absolutely. I, I'd like to. Uh, 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 Walt Ward, who runs Mobile Business School. Uh, he uh, t- talks about the fact that about 90% of co- companies will not exist in the same form as we understand them today in terms of traditional corporate structure. Right. That's all going out the window, and that's thanks to freeform or what I like to think of as freeform platforms or freeform companies like Facebook that are literally creating a new culture. Yeah, and it's fascinating because— And they're, they're re- remaking the norm, essentially. Oh, yeah. And it's fascinating because what's happening is you're having a, a, a convergence of creators like yourself, like me and others. We're able to, to combine skills that are analytical and technical. So it's like you're able to do in one occupation, you're able to do both left and right brain activity. And that was never that was really unheard of. I mean, when I was in, in college, Tosh, it was like this. You go you go to school, you get your degree, you're going to work for the big three. That was it. That was the biggest thing going on around here. But the, the, the downfall to that was there were no jobs because everybody, including like people like myself, didn't want to work for the big three in that capacity. But then now the whole game has changed because especially with ter- in terms of GM and Ford, they've taken a very, very big leap in terms of tech and involved in mobility and, and auto- autonomous cars and things like that. Everything that's tech-driven and heavily relying on tech, they've embraced. But even before that, when they went through the bankruptcy, it probably was a wake-up call and a splash of cold water in their faces because once once they finally embraced alternative fuel and had flex fuel cars, oh, wow, 
more gas mileage. We're getting we're selling more cars. We're breaking records in our sales. Wow, maybe we need to involve more high tech. And so now we're between infotainment systems, yeah, infotainment systems and autonomous vehicles and all this other stuff coming on the horizon. It's it's, it's wonderful. Boom. But I tell you this much: forcing creativity. Exactly. Exactly. And so then also. So you have you have a coder. You got coders in, involved with GM now and Ford. You got people with tech people with the big three getting good jobs, doing doing what they love doing, which is engineering and coding and things like that. You have creatives, the designers, you know what I'm saying, the, the marketing people. So now it's, and now it's like one company can be all that and then some. Um so then, you know, when we look at the things, we still have a long way to go in terms of things like Amazon. Everybody was was champ we're championing Amazon to have H, HQ here. But we still got a ways to we, we still got a ways to go to meld everything and and I want to ask you this too, what's your take on the neighborhoods in terms of involvement with the changes and what's going on and you know even involvement with you with the service you provide do you do you see that the neighborhoods can have a space I see I think they do have a space but do you what's your take on their involvement with the resurgence and everything else? I am a huge proponent of neighborhoods or our neighborhoods having more of a, a say and access to a lot of the capital that's swirling around downtown and midtown. Okay. Uh, the, the, the real risk is running um, or pushing people into feeling alienated. Uh, when you say that this part of town uh, for various reasons doesn't get access to new stores or doesn't get access to um, remodeled, schools or you're, 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 we don't want to create or we don't want to foster a culture here of have and have not and let it be normal. I understand that in the past, there's that old idea of the other side of the tracks. There's going to be that part of town that just isn't as great as other parts of town. Right. But I believe in the modern era when everyone, like you said, has a smartphone or at least has access to someone who has a smartphone, you can see how the other half lives. It's not nearly as mysterious as in the past and in that sort of mindset we have to be more mindful of our neighborhoods they see what's going on in downtown they see what's going on in um, midtown and new center and when you have areas like uh, there's some attention being paid to for instance the six mile and seven mile corridors surrounding Fitzgerald or with Bagley there's more attention being paid to Palmer Woods now there's a lot going on in northwest Detroit right now in terms of opening art galleries and that's a part of town that my family lives in, so I'm pretty familiar with the area. It's very working class, uh, upper working class sometimes, but the the idea was starting to become that downtown and midtown was for someone else. That's that's them. That's the other. And when we expand into the neighborhoods the way that uh, some of the community initiatives are doing, it's, it's a way of equalizing the changes that are coming to Detroit and saying, hey, you don't have to be excluded from this. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to move to another part of town to be able to take part in the innovations that are taking place. Absolutely, yeah. Because I know when I go around town, I've been going around different things for about a good three years now, and just being able to go anywhere, I feel like I can go anywhere, and that's how I got involved with Bamboo myself. I just kept coming to events, you know, and and it's wonderful to have those gathering spaces along with the co-working space because you have people from many different areas and even other metro cities around Detroit who are coming together in one space and sharing with each other. And I think that's, that's, that's also a key in terms of bamboos growth, because that's, what's helping people. And, and, and we've never had that before. You know, it's always separate. Well, you, cause you know, you yeah, have, it, go ahead, go ahead. 
I was going to say it's super important if you're from, uh, let's say you're from Phoenix or if you're from uh, Atlanta and you get here and you see that everything is located downtown, it sort of creates this idea that the rest of the city is a bedroom community. But now we have places like Thinkers Co-working Space that's down East Jefferson. Right. We have Grand River Co uh, Grand River Co-working Space, and that's opening up the idea that you can have entrepreneurship in the neighborhoods too, and yeah. you don't just have to have a more traditional business structure. I mean, it's great to be uh, a barber, a hairdresser, a baker, but what if you can also get resources at that co-working space and have an office in addition to your, 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 your building yeah. and you get to work with other small business owners. It creates a space for collaboration. So you don't just have to feel like you're in it by yourself and that's sorely needed in, outside of the downtown area. Absolutely. And you know, it's like all of what we're talking about is like a convergence. Like if, if you could put it all in a melting pot or a bowl or whatever and mix it all together, it, it, it's like a, a well-rounded approach to success. Cause like I was saying earlier, closing the digital divide helps, but then also when you see businesses popping up, shops opening up in the neighborhoods and everything else on top of the digital divide closing in the neighborhoods, that's the well-rounded approach. And I do think in my own take on it, and I'm gonna ask you this too in a minute. I think that the neighborhoods are the last gap in terms of full recovery for the city. And so that, that means that because there are a lot of people who are developing things in the neighborhoods, that's going to help greatly. And, um, hopefully the, the, the youth will see more inspiration right outside their doors, because unfortunately there's a lot of youth who don't venture out anywhere a lot. You know, they don't go outside of their own neighborhood, most of them. So it's able by, by them having access to a smartphone or something, they can even see what's going on, on on the other side of town or just a couple miles down the street or whatever and be inspired. And that's the goal that I hope that everybody becomes connected in that manner too. Absolutely. I, I admit I come from a somewhat, somewhat privileged background. Uh, it wasn't, I was, I was an adult before I knew that there were people uh, who live here in the city who've never been, let's say you're from the East side who have never been West of Woodward yep. Avenue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we need to consider, um, Instead of trying to say, hey, you should change your mindset, we need to be able and capable to meet people where they are and let them know what their options are so that they can decide for themselves, hey, I want to venture out more. I want to get further out. I want to consider traveling. That travel isn't something that everyone has had the, the, has been fortunate to do. Yeah. And when you bring options to people, you create more imagination or, or give them more capacity to imagine other opportunities. Well, that's why the entrepreneurship scene is key and vital to that, because young people like yourself and others, when you set up your shingle and have the courage to just do what you're doing, that's why, like I was telling you earlier, you'd be surprised at who's noticing you because they see you doing your thing and people you would never have thought have noticed you. The, the very people you just talked about are the ones who's going to maybe cross Facebook or cross something that they've seen, email or whatever, and see you doing your thing and say, oh. I always thought about photography. I always thought about doing some content. Wow. Tasha's out here doing things and they become inspired. So it's like a chain and a ripple effect. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And I think that uh, well, I'd be honored to, uh, to inspire people in that way. Yeah. And I think you will and already are truthfully. I really do. Um, and so, and then going back into the, the, that part of the conversation. So where do you see Detroit's um, in terms of, like we said, the resurgence and entrepreneurship scene, wh where do you see it? being in maybe the next five or 10 years going out? Uh, I believe we'll see a steady and then rapid growth, especially in online products and services. 
uh, suddenly you don't have to move away to achieve great success in the industry. You don't have to leave town to go find or go chase your dream here anymore. Uh, I believe that a basement in Detroit or Akron is just as viable as a garage in Echo Park for all intents and purposes. Right, right, right. Because you, I think by us being acclimated to Silicon Valley, the Boston area scene and the New York scene, we think that that's where all the Mecca is. But, you know, you look at, um, Steve Case's latest book, you think a lot, you hear a lot of people talking about it. They're taking this show on the road. You know, you can be in Kansas somewhere. If you create something great, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's like if you were in, you know, a, a deeply wooded area somewhere out, as long as you have internet access, if you create the yeah. next Facebook from it, that's what it's all about. It's because we're truly in a global community and connected online. And I'm pretty sure that the people who invented the internet, some of that was some of their purpose was to connect people. And I know I heard Mark Zuckerberg talk about this all the time is about making people connected. But, you know, here we can we're we're wit- I think we're witnessing that taking place right here in our own backyard, which is great to see. Um, and I'm glad that you also, like myself, have noticed the fact that a lot of the world is taking notice of Detroit. And that's what part of the reason why we're doing this podcast, because as this podcast grows and goes nationwide and worldwide, people can really hear from the different stories of people like yourself and others who've been on the program, seeing that we're really doing some cool things here and we're really doing some interesting and fascinating, you know, invention services, you know, um, networking and everything else. Um, And then, so with catch three, one, three, you, are you looking to expand in terms of staffing anytime soon or like maybe hiring folks or uh, what's, what's your, growth vision for that absolutely we anticipate uh expanding our staff by the end of 2000 or quarter for 2018 okay how many staff do you have now uh it, right now it's just me okay. uh uh we will be expanding our staff uh, looking for a personal assistant and partnering with uh, other groups and other organizations by the end of quarter for 2018 excellent that's love to hear that. i'm loving to hear that tosh really loving it so in terms of contact information, as well as um, any social media connect you have, Tosh, what, what, what are your handles on social media? Uh, we are Catch313 Social on Facebook and Instagram, and we're Catch313 on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, you can find us on all social media platforms. Uh, and uh, we regularly post to Instagram under Tosh Catch313 as well. That's my personal uh, business Instagram. Okay. Uh, do you have email at all? A- email address? Yes. Tosh at catch313.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, we're just about to wrap up here. Tosh, it was great. Great talking with you. I'm glad that you were able to be on the show. Um, wonderful opportunities that are bound for you and you're doing wonderful work. And like I keep saying, somebody's watching you and they're watching you for a positive purpose. And I appreciate you being on the podcast. Oh, marvelous. Thank you so much for having me, Don. Uh, This is a great opportunity, and I absolutely appreciate it. So for all of you out there listening, make sure you contact Tosh. If you've heard things of interest to you, she's a wonderful photographer. Please, if you're interested in some of the services, reach out to Tosh. And thank you all for listening. I'm Donald Robinson II, and this is the Doers Network, where actives grow and thrive. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our interview with Tosh Moore, founder and creator of Catch 313, right here on the Doers Network. 
If you'd like to know more information, you can go to Facebook and Instagram and search for Catch 313 Social. And also you can go to Twitter and LinkedIn and search Catch 313. If you'd like to get in contact with Tosh directly, you can email her at Tosh, that's T-A-S-H, at Catch 313, that's C-A-T-C-H 313.com. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Bamboo Detroit, located in the heart of downtown Detroit. Bamboo Detroit specializes in co-working space and amenities for entrepreneurs and forward thinkers. Bamboo Detroit, where we do more together because Detroit is for doers. We appreciate your support by subscribing to our podcast right here on the Doers Network. Thanks for listening. Been listening to the Doers Podcast, where actives grow and thrive. The Doers Podcast is produced by Bamboo Detroit Network. For more information, visit us at bamboodetroit.com.